Hello, hello, I'm Chris. I'm Preston. And welcome to another episode of Just Two Dudes Reading Theory. And this week we are reading Beyond the Psychoanalytical Unconscious by Felix Guattari. And this was fun. Yeah, I think I, uh, think I may have found a new one of my favorites. I really liked this one. I like the way he thinks. I liked that. I liked how he isn't saying no to the past in so much of what he's doing here. Weirdly, in other projects, it kind of comes across as a, as a attack on the Oedipal structure, but here he's just trying to move us forward. Yes, he's trying to get us to move forward. So the whole uh, argument of this, I'm just gonna just go for it because I figured it's a simple enough claim and gets us away from what he's going to call mommy daddy me issues in uh, anti-Oedipus and capitalism and schizophrenia is not that the Oedipus complex from Freud is just useless or that it has never had any meaning but more specifically he argues that it's one collective enunciative arrangement which sounds like a lot of words but it's not actually that complicated. It's one way of framing psychoanalysis. Yes. And more broadly, one way of experiencing familial life. I almost wonder if he thinks about the Oedipal complex as being one way that people for a certain historical period even structured like being. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I, I'm not sure if it's that big, but it seems to be still interpreted as a very large event. Is the Oedipal, the uncovering and uh, dealing with the Oedipal structure in psychoanalysis? I mean, if even for people who don't know anything about psychoanalysis, I mean, how many TV shows have you seen that make jokes about it? Yeah, how many books? Like it's. It's definitely something that uh, has become so prevalent that it's common in, like, pop culture. Right, and it's like, that's what people know about Freud, is they're like, he's, like, gonna talk about sex, and he's gonna talk about mommy-daddy-me issues. Yep. Um, and that's why, in the broader culture, it's framed as so uh, past its prime, right? Like, yeah. Because it, it, in that view, psychoanalysis cannot deal with class struggle or issues that are truly related to economic forces or whatever it is <laughs> occupational forces that uh affect the individual just as much as their family life yeah um one of the things that i really liked um about how guattari approaches psychoanalysis um is he kind of eliminates this universal universality. Yeah, universality. Very good. To the the Oedipus complex, like it all boils down to this, and everybody it boils down to this, which isn't. I I mean, for some people, there's there, there's definitely that. I think you know people like Jordan Peterson, Andrew Tate. There's some Oedipal complex stuff going down there. One mommy yes. issues, one daddy issues. Well, and then yeah, I mean, I completely agree. The example I made to Preston before we began the podcast is like everyone becomes a Freudian again when we watch documentaries on 
Psycho Killer, uh, you know, Psycho Killer, run, 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 run away. <laughs> Not Psycho Killer, you know, uh, um, serial, killers. serial killers. It's and, and even that might not be best practices. You know, pegging all serial killers as having mommy, daddy, me issues might be also just a error that we make. But there's so many yeah, of them that some... just have them. You know? Yeah, there is, that, there's a lot. Yeah, but there are definitely some that don't quite fit that mold, and they try to kind of box them in. And I like that there's there's other routes. There, I think that there's other ways, and I yes. like that Guattari kind of uh, puts a little more attention on like the individuality of how this shit happens. Like, it's not all the same things for everyone. There's not the mm-hmm. same events, the same, you know, things that it all boils down to. There's just a bit of a spectrum of things. and Or just really radically different things. Like, um, I remember one of our podcasts, it might have been, I don't remember which, but we, we, we mentioned and kind of both agreed that, like, the way trans people experience their becoming a more fitting gender expression. I don't have a, a path to universal, you know, not to a, to a model that's supposed to fit everyone's transition. And I think that right now in America, our culture is boiling everything down so much. It's so reductive regarding oh. LGBT issues. Even saying it as LGBT issues frames it and reduces it down to yeah. an issue when it's yes. not an issue it's, it's beautiful and it's this lovely for a lot of people coming to their own is an expression of beauty others an expression of reclaiming power others an expression of fitting i mean it's all it's you got to ask the person it's going to be different <laughs> I, I mean as as someone who hasn't had those experiences can't really relate to that kind of a thing like it's one of my favorite things about being adjacent to yeah. it is like seeing these people who are just like beacons of good energy, just all this pent up, yeah. you know, um, identity, I guess. I, I don't even know the right like word for it without making it sound all wooey, but there is just. There is something so admirable about people just getting it. It's, yeah. It's yeah, the it's, best it's, thing it's, about, like, the drag shows yes. that we go to watching on a just, like, kill it. Be like, ah, yes, this is uh, someone who is just in their element. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And I think... So now... The example that Guattari uses to get us to think this way is just really great. So what what we're talking about is I'm going to I'm going to put it in my own words. You can read the essay to see how he frames it. I'm going to frame it a little smaller, but for every mommy daddy me issue, the kid also will notice that your that their father is not the head of the company. Ooh. Right? There's there's forces in essence for Guattari that are beyond from a very young age paternal authority it's not like 
It's not like paternal authority. Paternal, paternal authority. That's what paternal authority is. Uh, it's it's not like that exists as a fixed endpoint or like quilting point or master signifier for Guattari as it as a name of the father would for Lacan. Instead, your dad's not the head of the company, and yeah. even if there is, there's actual God, and. So suddenly this structure is blown up where you can't just reduce God to the father and you can't reduce up father to the God. And Freud thinks you do. I mean, I mean, I think, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not exactly sure exactly how he'd phrase it, but for me, when I read Freud and even Lacan, there is an, an alighting between the name of the father as a function and it is being this ultimate placeholder. Yes. And that's just not how Guattari thinks about this I mean, at all. <laughs> don't they both technically operate under, like, the big other? Well, they, they kind of disclose the big other. Like, like um, so, for in Lacanian terms, the big other is not just the, it's the register of language, but it also is the register of the, the law whose rules can't be got onto all the way. Mm. And... All of these things get put together in a way that's very beautiful and very complicated. But for Guattari, we're making a little more room for differentiation here. Um, yes. Like, I think, like, you know, for, for example, like, Preston, if you went to an analyst and they were just focused on, like, your father as, like, a church guy as being representative of the god, Guattari would make the distinction between... No, but there is actually this god in this structure also. Yes. That discloses its authority to the yes, dad. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think this is one of the reasons I really like his approach more is it fits a little bit more with this innate drive in me to, don't put me in a fucking box. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Freudian psychoanalysis is like, no, I'm going to tell you why you think that. And I'm like, well... And I don't get to disagree. Don't, don't you fucking tell me what to do. And they'd be like, oh, he's just, you know, he's resisting the treatment. Yeah. Right? Like, he's resisting. Don't you fucking tell me what to be. And I like yeah. that this is a far more, like, nuanced approach. Like, it's not so, like, yes, this is the way it is. It paints a far bigger picture that I find to be vastly more interesting and compelling and it also gives a lot more responsibility to the analyst and philosopher so for us it gives more responsibility because we can't rely on ah yes that's what a, it is on like ah oh, yeah like i pegged you as like it's sort of a thing like reading psychoanalytic literature from freudians and neo-freudians of like a well i didn't tell him that he was a hysteric and it's like okay <laughs> Like, yeah, like, I guess, like, this person might be fitting under a clinical structure that you've taken years to uncover, and a good therapist can work under any model, really. Like, it's all individual. But there is a sense in which well, I, it becomes, I think... like, like a claiming a type, like I'm an introvert or an extrovert, which the spirit of psychoanalysis is to resist that, is to resist saying you are a pervert you are a neurotic you are you are these things instead you're supposed to in in the traditional model use those as sort of 
girds to get you to less suffering. But for Guattari, it's even worse because not only does he think that there's more room, he thinks that, like, really, when you're told that, that you kind of become that. Oh. <laughs> like, wasn't there a... I mean, he... Isn't there a quote like that where he says, you know, like you, this is because the modern unconscious is constantly manipulated by the media, by collective apparatuses and their cohorts of technicians, which make it part of your structure. Yes. <laughs> which is, I would argue, slightly on the paranoid side of his schizoid analysis. Oh, and remember, we're not doing psychoanalysis anymore. We are doing schizoid analysis. Schizoanalysis. It's uh, this unconscious, which I call schizoanalytic. Oh, great album name. Yeah. Who would have thunk? And then like each track Endless album and band names. Becoming trees. Becoming woman. (laughs) Becoming animal. (laughs) There you go. There's your album. I mean that that'd be a, that'd be a pretty cool. But what what kind of music are you doing on an album like that? Plant music. Ah, uh, of, of course that exists already. <laughs> okay, That's a yeah. thing, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's oh, it's actually kind of good. It's one of the first like Moog synthesizer albums. It's oh yeah, mu- music for plants. Or, um, oh yeah, very famous. And it's from got a long time some yeah. funky plant shit. It's well, it's got like a weird name. It's like yeah, Philo something or other Monica music for plants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but, and uh, it, there's, there's some cool shit. I've heard a couple of them. It's kind of cool. Well, I mean, I think that would exactly be in the spirit of the 60s and 70s that we're talking about, right? Like like this this spirit of mind-expanding drugs, but also breaking free of paternal authority in its many guises. Um, you know, and in music, like there's a piece written for David Tudor and the first page of the score is the first page of capitalism and schizophrenia. And it's, it's just a bunch of lines intersecting on the page and in a very chaotic way. And it says, fuck your paternal authority. I think, I guess like, you know, it says we're going to do, we're going to do line becoming line or whatever, whatever. I am line. I am line. Yeah. Um, it's great. I, I think that like, when he talks about oh in the in the um in this essay as well as in many essays and as a through line for all of guitari's work also with deleuze the unconscious is structured it's funny right because he says yeah like it sort of is that distant vast castle in a castle but we're gonna structure it as a series of becomings and and remember he's he's taking this on a very on a specific reading of Freud's view on negation, which is there is no negation in the unconscious. There's a series of positivities, a series of like things that you're gonna negate consciously, but that your unconscious is not negating. Mm. And that's trauma, of course. Yeah. But it's also bats. <laughs> I don't know, like whatever. <laughs> Would that be you like know? phobias? Phobia, well, phobias are pretty conscious, but maybe... Or, like, irrational phobias. Like, deep-seated fears of things that... 
well, it'd be the cause of those, but it wouldn't be right. The, it wouldn't I, be the fear. Like you, you're right, conscious the, of the phobia, right? <laughs> yeah. But why you're terrified of open doors? Yeah. In a house. Yeah, like why you're terrified of open doors? Very good choice, by the way. I feel like if you said spiders. Some like evolutionary biologist would come in and be like, "Can I have a hand in why we're afraid of spiders or something?" But like, I feel like for open doors, it's like, yeah, there's like some event in your yeah, young, like that's one you could probably trace back because that's at least that's what I'd call an irrational fear. Yeah, yeah, is, is something like that. But it's also something you could probably trace back to a traumatic event that you just kind of buried. Or, or, you know, I mean, and remember, because trauma is so weird, uh, a, an image from year two oh, that through... Before like, you're retaining memory. Well, yeah, like, okay, so, like, you, in your house of childhood that you loved, all the doors were unlocked and open, and then you move to the place where you're abused, which has all closed doors, and through a weird process of screen memories... Your brain throws in the open doors as the source of trauma because it's before the trauma happened. I don't know. It, 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 it can be anything, you know. To me, I mean, that's just my personal argument is that it doesn't... The traumatic signifiers are almost never directly coupled. They're always several steps, different places along the signifying chain. Which is your brain's an asshole. Because your brain's an really asshole. Really got to bury that. <laughs> yeah, it's all really over the place. Really got to yeah. bury that. It's really yeah. all over the place. Because like a good thing can become a bad thing later on, and then retroactively the good thing is now the bad thing, or or whatever. You know, it can be anything. Which is very sad that we do that. I think, but I I think on the other side of that, like the good side of good things becoming bad and vice versa, is like the concept of nostalgia that is a little bit of sad but a little bit of happy kind of mixed which oh, yeah. i think is a very good thing like in um oh my god why can i not remember what it's called all of a sudden the pixar movie um uh the 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 one in the brain yeah i was about to say get out like all these people get out of my fucking head but no it's um uh you know yeah yeah exactly it's the one with all the emotions in the head yeah, yeah like exactly. the the mixing of like the happy and sad stuff is, like, I would argue a good thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, like... But at a certain point, like, the darker end of that is, like... Melancholy. Yes. In the way that it's, like, you no longer have an object at hand for which has been lost, so therefore loss is permanent. Which is Freud's view of melancholy it's it's a difference because mourning is a process that you work through and get over melancholy is a phase that you get stuck in because the lost object gets keeps getting put onto everything all over the place and it's actually lost oh my god that one of my one of kari's family members is just like holy shit that's is she a melancholic <laughs> he but i'm he? like holy hell that's like spot on and it's kind of something that terrible that's a horrible thing to go through yeah and it's funny because kari's the one that kind of mentioned that's like the issue she thought has always been going on and kari's never read any psychoanalysis or any of this kind of stuff in her life but kind of 
kind of nailed that concept you're talking about there. Well, I mean, it always helps to know a person and to be as intuitive as your wife already is. Fair enough. So, but it, so interestingly, in this essay, it's funny we jump back into a Freudian model where we're talking trauma, you know, and notably absent. Notably absent is is trauma. Never, yeah, doesn't talk about it. Doesn't talk about it. I think. That might be in part because it doesn't work in his series of becomings. So if, I don't know if it fits his model of the of the well, schizoanalysis in the same way. It's like this is something I've kind of thought about with mm -hmm. a, like the more we've kind of acknowledged the effect of trauma like recently through like therapy and stuff like that. I yeah. also think it's falling into the same trap a lot of other stuff like we've talked about before is reductionism it's yeah it's being oversimplified when i don't think it's as simple as when we like so do you think at a freudian level like at its worst do you think sometimes people use the word trauma in the culture today in the same way we talked about the word creativity last time. Oh my god, yes. Like, it's sort of this ubiquitous, oh man, you can't address that. They got trauma. And you're like, okay, but like, we gotta live. Like, we gotta move forward. Yes! Like, we gotta do our shit here. Like, I mean, and that's, you know, it's like the difference between a trigger being a helpful thing to avoid as a polite person and a trigger that gets wrapped up in the symbolic game that Lacan, oh. you know what I mean? Like, oh, we got to avoid that, but that's where they're putting all the points. Oh, you God. Know? <laughs> but, like, I think I think for Guattari, I also do want to give him credit that in the fact that, at least in this essay, we're not negating the past, that we're also maybe just doing something different. We have a different focus. We, we have a focus because... Um, I think, I think where we get the fact that he's not going to focus on certain things that are so important is he just casually, and I think it's kind of like a fuck you at his former teacher, he's talking about all these things from um, psychoanalysis that are like there but not like universal. And he does part objects, the breast, the feces, penis, and then he goes, or math themes, like Lacan's A object or object petit A. But also a multitude of singular entities fluxes territories, making up a functional, making up functional arrangements that are never reducible to universals. I think it'd be pretty hard to argue that Lacan doesn't think of object petit a as like a fundamental human experience of desire. Like, I mean, across all cultures and human expressions. I mean, and the, you know, I, like that, I, I don't have the experience of all people. But right. That's one of the things from Lacan that I'm like, yeah, that the tracks. Like I believe him. Well, because like he, because Lacan takes desire as an absence, like a, a, a ever receding line on the grasping straw journey. I guess, I guess, but like in one way of thinking about it, I mean, another way to think about it is like when you start a new project in my mind there's a little line that metaphorically appears in my head that shows me how long it will hold my interest for like oh i'm gonna read about plants very short line i don't care <laughs> plants aren't they're not the desire chain 
is going to lead to boredom and non-desirous, non-excited activity fairly fast. But like things like music or philosophy, it's like, okay, then I just see the horizon. It's, it's the line extends mm. to eternity and you have to deal with the anguish of being on that path towards ever receding negativity. You, you just got to learn how to turn those lines into horizons, Chris. Sounds like, um, that sounds like a, like a, like an indie pop band lyric. You gotta turn those lines into horizons. <laughs> but like, I, like we don't have anything in that. Nothing like the guitar is like not on that wavelength at all. Desire is production, a machinic desire that's just positive. It's 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 like, it's totally different. So much so that I'm not gonna lie, it's kind of hard for me to conceptualize. Actually, it's one of the things from. It's going to be really important. Like, instead of us having this object petit ah, we're desiring machines to Deleuze and Guattari. And, like, cool. <laughs> there's a hard, there's a, like, I know we produce desire, but there's a sense that, like, this is the good news, and Lacan still supplies the bad news. <laughs> I, in regards to human desire like you're never gonna get it you're never gonna get the fantastic object and when you do you're not gonna remember that you had it or it or it didn't matter for that long or or you're bored now because you got the bone <laughs> like yeah i i could make an argument for like why one is better than the other so yeah as a desire machine desiring a desiring machine mm -hmm. does an outside level of autonomy allow you more freedom to alter your desires and make you less of a slave to the desires you feel compelled towards i mean i think i think that's part of it i think that's a good way in i think that guatari isn't focused on subject like, Guattari's not a philosopher of subjectivity. Oh, I'm pretty sure he, like, directly mentioned Doesn't he just say, that... like, we're just all these flows that are traversed and we have all these things traversing us as planes, you know? Yeah, like, I, I think that there's, like, something he directly says that it is not, um... I was just looking at it. Um... Oh man, now I can't find it. So it's like, it's like, in Lacanian terms, the imaginary and the symbolic are not just coupled in a Borromean knot. They're just indecipherably the same thing. Mm. Like, you identify with that, but that's because of the Germans. And I've just named a random country. I'll say the Somalians. The Somalians did a thing, and you identified with it. So you've become traversed by that desire flow. And then you form a machine that couples with it to produce. And I think part of the reason why that sounds like nonsense is because my interpretation of having read a lot of these texts is it's just sort of is what it is at face value. You like it, you do it, the machine produces. You, you are traversed by these flows, they come together, and you produce. Because in the unconscious, it's just a series of becomings. Your, your ego is stopping the flow. I mean, in the end, <laughs> this this is kind of why I like the concept mm -hmm. of like becoming, especially mm -hmm. in regards to desire, because I think music's a 
good example of that with my own kind of path through music is I listen to stuff now that even a few years ago, not a chance in hell you would have gotten me to listen to it. Yeah. And through, like, you know, actually studying music, there were a series of becomings in regards to, like, listening positions. Yeah. Um, you know, what I'm actually hearing, what I'm looking for in music, what I'm listening for, all of these things, like, shifted a lot and yes. eventually got me to a point where I feel like I'm a, in a way better listening position than where I was, you know, five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's good. I, I just, so like, you remember in the, when we read the Deleuze, it was like the point of philosophy and then it goes like, and art is, I don't think he said expanding consciousness because that sounds too woo, but basically expanding consciousness, right? Like something along those lines, said, right? I made like the really kind of sad seventh grade middle school boy comment of like, like to what point and purpose? Yeah, there is some like you. I I think in Guattari there's there's a a call to have a diverse library, but there isn't a call to like reckon with why you do at the end of the day choose something super narrow to do. Hmm. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like, my problem has never been. <laughs> so, like, there's two things from Kierkegaard. Lost in the Finite and Lost in the Infinite. Lost in the Infinite, they're both, they're both, um, inauthentic positions of a subject. So, the Lost in the Infinite is like, you go out in a starry, starry night, and you're like, oh my god, I'm lost in the universe. I am nothing. The vastness of this universe is overpelling. Overpelling. Tiny blue dot. Tiny blue dot. And, and you are, but you're also... I could be anything and where, where it becomes inauthentic is the lie that you can do everything. I can mm. be a doctor. I can be a, I could be, you know, or even worse. I could be Augustus <laughs> or like I could be Jesus or whatever. Uh, Tell that a lot of people to the, the, the character in the Sandman, the, the dude that's the king, the, the homeless yeah. guy that's a king. Yeah. I mean, they might, if I remember it, he might fit the category, but then the, the opposite is lost in the finite of like, Oh my God. Like if I don't, if I use too many sticky notes today, like that's just going to be too many sticky notes. <laughs> like, I think that's more OCD. OCD. I think I, that but, sounds like obsessive compulsive disorder. Well, yeah, but like, like you own, well, even, okay. More existentially, like I'm a musician, so I write music. So much so that I've never turned on my TV. I've never hung out with friends. I just sit in a basement and produce work. You know, like you're you're totally. You're I don't totally play lost. video games because it's just a waste of time, and I could be writing music. And there's that, no awareness that that shit could could influence you, or or could be part of your desire even that you haven't tapped into, and in part the idea is that you're afraid of your desire. Ooh. But for for Guattari, I think there's a little losing ourselves in the infinite, right? A little. The I, world can be one together in the space. You know, it's the fart song from right before he murders you, right? It's like there's a little promise here of something. I, uh, yeah. I, I. 
That sounds like Definitely I'm, I'm farting on his party a little, but I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I, I don't know. I kind of like that stuff sometimes, though. Yeah. But, um... It's, it's definitely a product, in some ways, of the time. Like, the quote-unquote radical 60s that Zizek referenced. Like, the idea that the joy of casting off old structures should not translate to a loss of diligent work on the other side. Agreed. And I, yeah. I don't think he's doing that. I just think that sometimes there's um there's like a promise here that you're going to be freed from certain things in his method of schizoanalysis that, that, that regular Freudian theory couldn't lessen your suffering on. And I think that's probably true. Well, I... I think another part of this that I really like with um, with Quattari versus Freud is yeah. um, when he's like outlining these points of uh, of his um, let's see the schizo analytic um, is something I think is like super important with like therapy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, personal, like, growth and self-awareness is that, uh, the structures of unconscious analytic enunciations do not necessarily require the services of the corporation of analysts. Yeah. <laughs> Analysis can be pursued individually or collectively. I like this idea of, it's not just you doing what you're therapist is telling you because of the way that they've interpreted your issues are and the way they boiled it down because like we talked about before then aren't you just you know running into the problem of becoming what they're telling you you are right which is uh and, and one little fact here is that um this guy guitar god i forgot his name for a second they're about to call him dostoevsky which is is a is a Freudian slip that will take me years to track down. But uh, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. But Guattari like was a early proponent of of group work in a therapeutic session, like getting everyone together in group settings. Who are often he worked a lot with schizophrenics and other people who, frankly. We've we've abandoned, right? Like 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 we've yeah. still abandoned well, I, them. <laughs> I mean, I just so, think we still abandoned them. So. Especially, especially with like yeah. the work with schizophrenics. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the reasons that there's still kind of this group we just don't want to touch a lot of the time is yeah. this whole idea of psychoanalysis being far more diverse and there being way more things that it can boil down to Mm -hmm. um that's that's a schizophrenic and i think it's a really good example of the way that that disease and that um you know the way it's often perceived in pop culture and the way that people who've never had direct experiences with it tend to perceive it a lot of people are like oh they hear voices or they you know mm-hmm. talk to themselves but i think the only like 
collective connection between schizophrenia is every single person's experience with it is completely different. Oh, I don't know if I agree with that. I, I, like, all of these, well, maybe not completely different, but, um, the, uh, like, way it presents itself and all of this kind of stuff, I think, is so much more drastically diverse than how it's often perceived. And I it bet is that's right. far more individualized than, you know, treating it like a typical disease is. Well, isn't... Okay, like... And again, for some historical information, like, like psychoanalysis in the Freudian framework is for neurotics and perverts if you can get them to get into therapy <laughs> like, you know, it's hard to do <laughs> they're gonna uh, as one as Derek Hook said a pervert in the Lacanian sense showing up to therapy might make you uncomfortable as their goal and then you're not actually getting anywhere. Yeah, there's there's no work being done. There's no work being done. Yeah, exactly. But like for for so mainly for neurotics, and and that's that's totally true because the vast majority of us as just Western human subjects, for Freud and Lacan, fit under the paradigm of a neurotic. There's there's a lot of room for weirdness when it comes to artists. I think, <laughs> I think I would just argue that most artists are also just by law of what we're talking about in percentages also neurotic but there is a perverse staging something for the other like there's a, there's an artist herman niche who made blood orgies and he would sacrifice cattle in the art museum and have naked dancers and everything and then you know i showed anna the images and they were like wow i'm really glad this person decided to do art the implication being they would murder you if they weren't doing art yeah and i think i think that's true i think there's an inherent coupling between art and perverse subjectivity in the lacanian sense but primarily psychoanalysis is for neuroses treating neuroses ocd hysteria you know in the social spectrum that you can you can quantify in that way and I think that you're right. Like, like for Guattari, we're trying to not just give schizophrenics their their say on one level. Like, God, you know, we don't even listen to schizophrenics discourse very often. Um, but on a, on a more deep level, saying that there's something revolutionary in that way of being that is also historical. Like, like this is more my argument, but like, I'm sure it tracks with the losing Guattari. If you read a 19th century novel, you're just seeing a novel peopled by neurotics. Every single novel. Novel after novel of neurotics. There's not a lot of schizophrenics or other psychotic dispositions in 19th century novels. There's just not. I mean, I mean not that I've seen. You know, you don't see a lot of mass hallucinations in um, Balzac. No. No, it's no, it's, no, it's I, not there, you know. And then you have a shift that's also historical because when you have a novelist like Philip K. Dick, you beat me. You're to bringing, plug in. you're 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 changing your position as a reader. Your reading position is now just fucking different, right? Like it's totally fucking different. 
So, don't you think uh, PKD kind of played with this concept of, like, more neurotic-based therapy when dealing with a schizophrenic person in Vallis? Yeah, and he got the therapist with, to admit yes, they're mad. The, yeah. Yeah, and the therapist like, oh, is Oh, no, I think you're right, dude. Oh, my God, there is this underground Holy subterranean shit. layer. Yes, that's so in, great. In Vallis, it's a really important thing. It actually... You could map it one to one from the Guattari example of uh, your father's a middle management guy to in the opening of Alice, you know, Horse Lover Fat is is his therapist and Horse Lover Fat's kind of like, you know, I'm crazy, whatever. And he starts telling his visions to a therapist. And instead of this is when he's in a mental hospital hospital. after trying to kill himself. And the therapist is is there for it man he is like oh my god yeah like he's you're right (laughs) he's ready to lay out this uh this theory that he has that's all this crazy connected biblical stuff oh yeah all over um and he's expecting the doctor to do what every other doctor he's talked to about this stuff like no that's insane but Instead, this doctor in a mental hospital is like, holy shit, dude, I think you figured it out. And just totally leans into the delusion. And, but but what it does is it's so, this is not Guattari, but it's funny. So there's a chapter in Lacan Seminar 3 on how, like, some ideas of how to treat psychosis. And... The fear that Lacan has is, okay, so a person comes in who's paranoid. And the whole seminar is on paranoia. And there's a really, really interesting problem with paranoia because the patient goes in and they're skeptical of power in a very real way. Well, that's the analyst. So now everything is going to be projected onto the analyst. So Lacan's trying to avoid this issue where the government is not involved in the analyst. How do you not play the game? So Lacan, the chapter is not PC named, but he meant well. It's called Secretaries to the Insane. And the idea is that you're not, for Lacan, the idea he was nursing was not that you're like going to go in and say, that chair's real, that thought's not, that was a hallucination. What you're doing is you're, first of all, a stenographer. You're keeping track of the delusion as it goes, finding moments of repetition, discourse, interruption, all the stuff that you're doing for everyone else. But in a sense, if you do position the patient as telling you the truth, the hope is that there is no big other. Because that source of power listens to what you're saying. And I just, I just think Guattari takes that and runs with that so far, <laughs> so much farther than Lacan does, right? Because like, if you, if you have that system where you're paranoid, but the source of your paranoia is actually curious in an authentic way, that produces a pretty big conflict in a good way. I would, I would argue. I think it's a I, good idea. <laughs> no, I definitely. Uh... I like I like that a lot. I think that it definitely has some weight. Doesn't that lead right to group therapy? Yes. As more effective in but a sense? Yeah. On a darker end of this, could that not end up 
playing to another flip of the delusion to where now, like, placing them as the authority figure in these things, they're mm -hmm. suddenly, I can't even trust myself anymore. They've invaded my own thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. I, I think it's... I think that the slipperiness of the signifier is so tricky. You know, mm. part of the work you're finding for Lacan is finding the delusional metaphor. So for so many schizophrenics... Like, okay, like, like, like personally, it doesn't matter if a person is schizophrenic or not. Uh, QAnon is sort of a schizoid topic. Like, like the it is the delusional metaphor of a psychosis. Because it doesn't have any evidence in reality, and you can always say, so what? <laughs> like, don't the Epstein that's papers prove them sort of right in a weird way? <laughs> like, it's like, so what? because they don't want you to find the evidence, man. Well, isn't that, I mean, I mean, again, like, there's a comic in the New Yorker where um, a, a, a couple dies and they go to heaven and they're talking to God at the gates. And they go, we just, we're so happy we're here in heaven. And we just have one question. Who won the 2016 election? And God goes, I'm saying, you know, Biden. Or not, <laughs> Freudian. That acts a funny Freudian slip. Hillary won the 20, no, I'm just kidding. Um, who won the 2020 election? And God goes, Biden won the 2020 election. And then the husband leans to his wife and goes, this goes higher than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> This is a real issue. Yes. You know, it's not like I'm going to come and have some answer to it. You know, I, I, there's so many problems that we have in philosophy I have an opinion on and I have a thought. On this, I think the best I can do is, is talk about different treatment methods that people proposed. And that's about all I got, really. Yeah, I am in no position to present any like what we should be doing man like uh where because it's already it's all the problems already there what we should be doing okay we're already kind of invoking what they're gonna take as the big other paranoia as real instead of symbolic and here we are and now we're back at our problem and it's it's like fuck this is a hard problem to get out of yeah you know? it's a it's a bit of a loop there yeah and I think, I mean, in a sense, don't you think Guattari's kind of just trying to get us out of that loop? Yeah, and once again, this may be another reason I kind of like this, is, you know, I, I feel like religion does the same loop. Yeah, it totally. It does the, the same thing, like, even in, you know, the age of the internet and all this information, and, you know, readily accessible for a lot of people, um... As a religious person, you can always just fall back on, devil did it. Right. Not the devil did it. Right. Devil influenced him. Devil did it. Like, no. No, but peer reviewed. Devil did it. But, but peer reviewed. The, the evidence? Like, the, yeah. the devil. And I think, I think there's a slight, I think, I think that's related. I think that the, sometimes the problem with our elections now is worse because it's a crisis of the symbolic like 
if you listen to one one American News Network, you could be a normal neurotic and believe all these things. Mm. And that's that's bad. That's yeah. not good. That's not, there's actually a great paper. We should even do it here, which is about like. Okay, so let's say you're in court. They reference this in court. I forget the name of the paper and the author, but we might wind up reading it because it's it's used in the legal system, which is so like. This is partially my evidence to like sometimes with schizophrenia, like, y- yeah, there might be a lot of individuality there, but like, there's also a lot of repetition between subjects in that you just know who's having an episode. You just can recognize these episodes based on the way the person's talking. And so in court, it's like, okay, is this person competent to represent themselves? I'm competent to represent myself because I've been ordained by God. Okay. A lot of people in America think they've been ordained by God to do a lot. We can't really say that they're delusional. Okay, uh, God is a frog and he speaks to me through a wire that's up my butt. Okay, we're getting closer to saying this person's not competent. But the problem is, is you can't really use QAnon as a measure of competency in court. Yeah, because you can't tell. <laughs> well, we have their, their cult phase. They <laughs> haven't reached the funding level to gain religious exemption. <laughs> right, but like that's great. I love that. By the way, you know, but fast forward yeah. seventy years in court, someone's going to be like, "And by my holy Trump, I swear that this happened. I was ordained. Trump came to me in ghostly form and told me." Where to dig up the banned book, Art of the Deal. And in it was hidden the text that told me I had to do this. And yea, verily, I shall swear on this old big book. <laughs> That's the truth of the... But I, th- I mean, I, there's a difference there, though, right? Like, and, and, but, but the problem is for us to find... To find what that is is, is really hard. I don't know if... Because what you have is a dimension where... You have so many options. The facts are at stake. Okay, this person honestly believes this as the truth. Oh, okay, this person believes things that aren't real, not as a differential of fact, but as a differential of their reality. Like, there, there's, there's different levels, and it's very hard to parse them out now because... Well, because it's hard to parse it out with Trump, right? Like, it's hard to... When you read Trump, you're like, well... That's crazy. I don't know what... I'm starting starting to suspect the reason this lovely little essay was so easy and fun to read, now that we're discussing it, the work that comes after is a little terrifying. Well, yeah, and it's like, I think for... I think you can almost see, like, on one hand, a liberation of schizophrenia as a person living outside of societal norms... And attempting to liberate them without crushing them with expectations of the Oedipal Triangle is a is an eminently positive thing. It sounds great. Love that. You're going to live in a vastly different way than I live. And that doesn't relate to their suffering. They're suffering about a thing that's different. And so you see why, like, to get someone... Like, to just give homeless people houses is a good, just ethical step because you don't have to do any philosophy about it (laughs) or engage with their subjectivity you can just say you can just quote data about life expectations and well-being because once we begin talking 
from all these angles about specifically schizophrenia, it's hard to imagine in this current age the best mode of treatment until a drug comes out, until more drugs come out that aren't that aren't also making them feel that they're not themselves as well. Because, you know, so many schizophrenics feel on medication that they're not themselves, but now in a different way. And that's just fucked up. Well, I, I think this is another... Another thing that, uh, and once again, like, I don't know enough. I just, yeah, I, uh, I think that the disease is drastically more diverse and individualized and we have a bad tendency yeah, in pharmaceutical medicine to generalize. And you, and you have to a little, I mean, I, you know, you oh, have a drug that you're going to go. I mean, it'd be hard. And once again, there are tons of layers on top of this because there's so many harmful drugs that get pushed through for a bunch of other reasons. But getting past all of the bullshit money stuff in the pharmaceutical industry, um, like, especially with an incredibly difficult disease that we still don't know a ton about, um, where do you start? Like, with it this highly individualized, it's not like we're at a point where, you know, we can examine someone and be like, ah, yes, I'll put this data in and we'll design a drug just for you. Which would be great. I'm not actually against amazing. that. That would be great. Um, unfortunately, the person yeah. who claimed they could do that is is going to prison because she was full of shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think... I think one of the ways in which I like Guattari is because if we take it, he doesn't take it as his premise. I'm kind of reading into it based on the passage I said and what I've read from Guattari and Deleuze that like when you are part of a culture, you're inculturated. You're, you take the myths of the culture as your own. You take the problems, you take the Oedipus myths as your own. And I think the reason why it's one collective enunciative arrangement why it's even elevated to that is because so many people have taken it on as their own. And I think in reading this, now we have a collective enunciative arrangement focused on schizoanalysis that might be better for someone suffering from schizophrenia where the myths of the Oedipus complex only further paranoia. Mm. Because if you take this on, you might be less resistant to the horror. So, like in in America, like you know, the the individuality is so strong. Like you you're you're traversed by all these flows, and immediately most Americans would say, "Yeah, but like I'm a I'm a man or I'm a person at the end of the day." And for a schizophrenic, it might be more helpful, or anyone going through any psychotic episode, to like instead. Put the flows of desire as the first part instead of your personal autonomy. Ooh. I'm not sure if I believe that, but that might be the way he's going. I, I, whether or not, once again, same thing with like Freud, whether he's wrong about most of it, I like that the thought process is moving in a progressive direction, I feel. And like the uh, the idea of you know as you know 
as Richard Rorty would say, is the satirist trying on these shoes, you know, seeing how it works, I think inevitably leads to, like, some new avenues of thinking that, uh, you know, can give us the next person that has some more mm -hmm. context here. Because this is 60s that we're reading, or 70s. Yeah. This is from 70s here. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got... 60 years between when that was written and now and i i the like the same length of time from that and when freud formulated his models so know. i i like i like the concept of like moving the way we think forward yeah without necessarily just abandoning like the the past cuz i he he mentions in the beginning of this this isn't abandoning the model of freud and all psychoanalysis no. it's it's expanding on it and I, I i really enjoyed that a lot yeah i agree i mean and you know his pithy response to end with is the machinic unconscious is like a department store you can find whatever you want there it, it's pretty good zizek could take some notes on uh ending ending essays no no the ending of the like essay that. Th that wasn't the end the oh end that's is, not the very end no the end is in short it must do everything that the psychoanalytic profession of today does not do um still so that it could become everybody's business yeah because he really he doesn't like the private aspect like you go to a couch and you're you're kind of hidden in this room which i really agree with like i think yeah. that's a good step but i also once again don't like that it's been like reduced down to that yeah like because it's like, the majority of the work is done outside of that little room on the couch yes in being in the world it's, it's more yeah like, there's more i, I feel there. like more breakthroughs while given like tools and language from things in therapy like those breakthroughs aren't always on the couch when it suddenly hits you after he gives you that that line that it all connects it's mm -hmm. it's the shit outside well i mean and, and and to go with what you're saying we we lock schizophrenics away either either in institutions or on the street but it's the same prison and what guitari wants us to do and and in the in the more therapeutic way is To think of ourselves as public. Mm. And, and I think that, weirdly, you know, psychoanalysis would think of us as public, but, like, the locking away in a room immediately is going to already foster a, a, a space where paranoia could be a possibility. Whereas eight of you in a room, obviously, you know, like, we didn't we didn't reference the three Christs of Ypsilanti because it, it works against Guattari's model but it is funny and i feel like it is a good one you know the joke i don't think so all right so like if i i think it's this case study and if i get this totally wrong we'll, we'll correct it next week but so three three people who have something like schizophrenia which is now uh we've been saying schizophrenia because we're this essays from the 70s now it's schizoaffective disorder the, mm. the name's i think i think different um but like you have three people who all believe they're Christ. And so a therapist goes, let's, let's get them all together. And the analyst gets them all together. And, and the, um, uh, 
the one is like, you know, I'm the real one. The other two are lying. And the second one goes, we're all Christ. There's more than one embodiment. And the third one goes, of course, those two guys think they're Christ. We're in a mental institution. (laughs) 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 But I think, I think you can reverse it and say that, like, if you get these people talking more and don't just give up after first funny motions and things, there's a there there. You know, there's there's a there's a helpful way to treat this as a public disorder instead of as a shameful shameful thing that you have to keep away from people to present your normality. Mm. You know, you can be non-neurotypical. You know, I, I think that I think that that would be to end on an ethical note. I think that the ethical maxim that I would love to try and live by and, and try to is is around me when I'm in a classroom teaching you know, you, you don't have to be, you don't have to pretend you're neurotypical. You know, I think that's sort of, for me, a concrete, just positive attempt at moving forward is you don't, you don't have to put on airs in the way that you do with other professors. Um, I, I think, I think, that's, I think that's a good model. I'd agree. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's why I liked you as a teacher. It's, it's oh, definitely thanks. something that's noticeable very quickly. Yeah. Like, the truth is already out in the open. Like we don't have to put on airs to hide our being. Yeah, and it's I'm no. I think that uh, it's important to have authority figures that you come across that you don't feel as if you're oppressed by their authority. Yeah. Well, I work. You know, I mean, in any number of ways, I'm constantly working to change my practices so that whoever has undiagnosed schizophrenia or people more usually it's people who are on the autism spectrum which i love today because like people are just like more open it's like sorry i'm weird i have autism and you're like cool that actually really helped to know that and i'm so happy you told me (laughs) and felt comfortable you know it's not it's not the same type of framework but it's totally far afield but yes that's that's also where i i would i think that guitari i don't have any evidence of this but i bet that as an analyst he was pretty good i i'd like i'd like to look into that because i i think i'd make the same assumption just based upon the way he kind of talked about this stuff i i really liked it a lot I liked it too, so much so that we made a we made a deal that like we all, Preston and I can choose three thinkers that at any point when we don't have anything in mind to read, we can read essays from one of those three thinkers. And I think, I think we I found I, your I first think one. I found my first one here. Really, really enjoyed, really enjoyed reading his stuff. Liked the, uh, the line of thinking, and I also, the idea of like building upon this stuff without like restricting yourself to it mm-hmm. I think feels a lot more authentic than actively just trying to tear down the other structure to build your own yeah I agree then I feel like you're still operating based off their structure just in the opposite direction and it kind of lacks lacks a bit of creativity there 
Because yeah. you're just playing off the opposite on things and calling it productive. I agree. You know what I mean? I agree completely. I think that's a great point. Well, Preston, on that note, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. That was a fun one. Looking forward to the next one. All right. Thank you, everybody. Until next time.